We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started, I just want to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 180, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Hi, I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas, and Frances, we have got a special week ahead of us. We have Napoli, and we have El Clasico. So today you're going to hear about Napoli, we're going to talk some Martin Braithwaite against Abar, and we're going to review that a little bit, talk about the Liga table, but really we're going to be focusing on a preview for Napoli, which happens on Tuesday. And then don't go too far because the next day or the day after for the Napoli match, win or lose, we're going to be shifting our attention, our focus to El Clasico. But Frances, between every show that we record, we lose another player. And just this morning, we're prepping for the show, getting ready. And now Sergio Roberto is going to be out for the next two or three weeks. I feel like I used to ask you the lineups. And now I just have to ask you, who's healthy? Um, hola, Gules. I've got no idea who's healthy at this stage. Um, I'm, unfortunately, I'm losing track. Um, you mentioned a lot of things in the start. I wasn't ready for you to tell me so many topics. Uh, just to say that um, very happy that the, the game against Avar was won and was won healthily and you know and, and quite robustly as well. Um, very pleased that Messi obviously um, has returned to his goal-scoring form. Not that he ever lost it. He just had an incredibly long period uh, of four matches without scoring, and people were losing their. Let's say they were losing their minds over it. Um, so everything's back to normal. Uh, Braithwaite he had his debut. He was he was good. You know, it was better than most expected. And yeah, we've got a great week ahead of us. And you know, crunch time is virtually here. So yeah, looking forward to it now. 
Yeah, I don't know if you could hear it here on my side of things as we're recording here, but somebody outside, they're playing their car alarm to sound all the goals that Messi scored yesterday, all four against Abar. And, you know, we talked about it on last week's show, as you mentioned, that was there worry about a goal-scoring drought? Well, as much as there might have been, he was also involved with a hat-trick of assists, and he had been involved in, what, the 10 previous goals prior to that happening? Uh, I mean, the four goals for Messi. And it was interesting, too, because it, it showed you the match against Abar that Barca can go in, especially a team like Ibar, who at the start of this season and the last few years has looked like they're a mid-table or pretty decent, easily survive relegation kind of a league aside. They picked up a bunch of points in the first half of the year, but they have been rough for this second half. And Ibar, if they continue on this pace, they're going to get relegated, even though they're out of the relegation zone at the, this very moment. All that said, Messi was able to feast on it when the whole team seemed to be, and Messi included, seemed to be in second gear. But I think that was the game plan. They have a quicker turnaround than Napoli. They played on Friday, more on them later. But Barca now have to go back. It was just three days rest against Napoli. And when I say three days rest, I don't mean squad rotation and three days rest. We mean most of the players who played. Uh, Frankie de Jong getting a little bit of break coming off the bench. And Ansu Fadi, maybe he's being rested. So maybe that's the first direction we need to go. But before we get there with Ansu Fadi, let's talk about the guy who made his debut instead of Fati coming on. You know, it's funny, Frances, because I think we've, we're almost overcorrecting already with him, right? Uh, we're asking, is he going to tip the Liga scales in Barca's favor? But he goes from being somebody that, you know, oh, he's just Middlesbrough. He's just a Champions League striker and a relegation, illegal relegation side striker. But it's, it's almost an overcorrection now because of just how good his debut was, surely. And we keep using Henrik Larsson as the example. Um, but I think he's just he's his own player. It is a, a different thing. He's his own player. And I, I thought he was just good enough in his debut. Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, I think we need to call a spade a spade. Um, Braithwaite has hit jackpot by being signed by Barca, given his trajectory. And, you know, I don't want to take anything off the guy. He, he was a very good player, basically the most important player that Leganes had. But, you know, in a in a normal world, uh, when, you know, <laughs> the earth continues to circle around the sun, uh, Braithwaite never signs for Barca because they've got, a, they've got a board that actually, you know, can plan what's coming, can organize a budget, can research the market and actually find a better alternative. But obviously, given the, the situation that we are at, that the board has taken the club into, looks like Braithwaite is a better signing than, than most expected. I mean, I still, as we mentioned before, I think Angel should have been first choice because he was half the price and he was exactly what Barca needed in terms of a, in terms of a striker. But, you know, um, Setien and the board, Obviously, you need to know how much influence Setien had, but it is clear Setien uh, thought that Braithwaite was the better choice. Obviously, you wouldn't pay double for a patch at this time of the season unless you've got the manager's trust. And no, yeah, he was physical, he was incisive, he was hungry. I don't think his touch was incredible, but then again, that's not why he got signed, so we can forgive him for that. And yeah, he came on in the second half. You know, the game was already over by then. And as you mentioned, Eibar have been punching way above their weight for years because, you know, given the budget and the fact that Avar is so tiny, I think it's 40 or 30,000 people in the city, uh, they shouldn't be anywhere near the first division. But, you know, they got big, big bass cojones and they, they continue to stay up every year and, and credit to them. And, yeah, I think that Braithwaite unsettled the, the, the match and added something different. Uh, the Cam no loves an underdog. So despite the fact that they started the match incredibly angry at the board, the moment that Braithwaite came on, some of them whistled him, which is unfair. 
but it was more directed at the board than at him uh, because I, I know that the Camp Nou fans are actually pretty intelligent when it comes to differentiating that. And yeah, he's, um, he showed what he can do, which is um, upset things a little. And, you know, is, is he going to be playing all the big matches? No, I don't think so. But coming in as a second half substitute, he can add something. And then further down, hopefully we continue to progress in the Champions League until the very, very last match. He can be a rotation player against a mid or low table La Liga, La Liga teams when needed. So all in all, a good debut, as you mentioned. Yeah, and those white handkerchiefs do t- do tell you that I think people were jeering everything that came into the eye shot yesterday. It wasn't necessarily just Braithwaite. It was everything was, was, was getting jeered yesterday. And I think the other thing I want to mention, as you can go on YouTube, I, I, got, I did an article as well on Barcelblog.com, just previewing him when he arrived. Uh, because again, I think when he did show up, there was a lot of vitriol directed his way because again, he was a guy that has never been up to the level of Barcelona. And that is true, whether it was Toulouse or whether it was Middlesbrough or, or Leganes. He also spent uh, half a season at Bordeaux. And he never really stuck any of those places but Leganes, where he really honestly this season was having his best campaign to date. And he's 28 years old. And I find that for a player like this, he winds up just fitting a need. And I think that fits perfectly into what Barcelona needed. They didn't necessarily need another superstar. They didn't need another 120 million euro player. They needed somebody that was quick, that's agile. I mean, I guess first touch, whatever, but he's going to press. He's going to work hard. He's going to get into the box. He's going to create space for Messi. He's going to create t- space for other teammates. And he can cross good enough. Again, he can touch. He has a good enough first touch. It's not, we'll say, Barca level, but it's good enough. And he has, again, the physical tools just to create space and help out and unbalance an opponent in the Liga. And so he can do all of those things. And I think it's actually really important because to note, he's always had to contend with the best center backs on the other team. This is the very first time in his career, and he has played a lot on the wing as well. That should be mentioned. When he plays for his national team for Denmark, he is a winger. He's a backup winger. And the times when he is not, and particularly for the Danish national team, when he has not had to contend as a center striker with that terrific center back pairing, or he's had to deal with just the right back focusing in just on him, he's been much better. Because if he's been the second or third option, that's when he's flourished. And yeah, he's usually, he's expected to and paid like a first option, except with Barca. He's not paid like a first option. He's paid like the role that Barca is asking him to play, which is coming off the bench, unbalancing, or getting the occasional start against a team that Barca is able to to run out, is going to have channels in behind, and he's going to create some space, again, for, for Messi in particular. And then even see, he's able to get a shot off, and that's how Artur gets his goal, and then the assist as well, it, whether as accidental as it might be, he can get a ball in. So uh, Braithwaite, he's not going to be against Napoli, so we're going to move on from there. And George asks, Vidal, that being Artur Vidal playing on the left wing against Ibar today was pretty weird, in his opinion. Was the goal to rest Fati so he could start versus Napoli? Do you expect him to start in Italy? That being Fati or Vidal. And, you know, Frances, when the roster came out and it was Busquets, Artur, and Rakitic in the middle... And then Vidal on the left wing, I think you knew the kind of game that we were getting. And I think that's exactly the game we got. And I don't think that that is Kike Setien's plan at all. So I would not be surprised. Vidal might start, but it's going to be for Rakitic or Artur in the midfield. But De Jong is also going to step back in. So I expect it's going to be definitely Busquets and De Jong with one of one of the other three. And then I think it's going to be Fati. Would you agree? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think the question is great. I think that is the best question uh, coming out of the Eibar game. And 
I don't think Setien has an answer, to be honest. Um, when, when the lineup came up, I actually thought Arturo Vidal was going to play as a false nine. And then Griezmann was probably going to go to a wing. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that that didn't happen like that. And to be honest, I think Vidal did a decent job. But I think Setien needs to work out what he wants. Uh, does he want to play with four midfielders? Obviously, one of them being a winger. Or does he want to go for the pure option, which is playing Fati? Um, I'm not quite sure what he will do. Because we're playing away from home uh, under Valverde over the last three years, we've been used to uh, conservatism. Um, he just, I'm sure he would have gone with a 4 4 2 in Napoli if this was Valverde still managing the team. But obviously, uh, <laughs> thanks thank to our lucky stars, he's not. And so I'm not sure what, uh, what Setien would be doing. Uh, if I was him, I would play Fatih from the start because he's the one that can can keep the, the opponents guessing. And, you know, you're playing away from home and obviously it is an Italian team. So, you know, that, 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 that also does play a factor. But in my experience, Napoli would want to sort of chase the game uh, more than a sort of random traditional Italian team would do. Um, so having Messi, sorry, having Fati moving forward, having Messi on the other wing or whatever he wants, really, that would keep the, the opponents, defenders, fullback especially, from, from moving forward. So it is as Setien normally does, um, defending by attacking. Uh, so probably Fatih is the option. But to be honest, if he, what he wants is more muscle, more contention, more experience, then Arturo Vidal can definitely get the start. So I'm eager to see what he does. Um, I would say he would take the most risky offensive option um, if, if we know anything about Setien over the last two, three months and certainly the last three, four years, especially during his time at Betis. Yeah, I think there's also an exaggeration to the match against Hadafe when Naom, who's one of the largest right backs, not even in the Liga, but he's one of the largest right backs in world football, for particularly for a Champions League team in terms of his height, in terms of his weight and ability, also speed and strength to get off the ball. He's one of the best athletes at the right back position, that being for Hadafe. So there was a lot of thought and a lot of opinions about how Fatih was getting pushed off the ball a lot by Naom. And I thought he was still fearless and went at a guy like Naom. And Napoli, well, again, we're going to get to that in a second, but they don't have that Naom type right back. Their right backs are more speedy or controlled players being left backs and right backs. And Fatih, I don't expect just to stay on that left wing. I expect him to be drifting and switching spaces with Griezmann and all those different things. So let's move on, though, to a question from Frederick. And this is a, not necessarily about Abar or Napoli or a Classico, but we did see in that game when De Young came on for Busquets, a rested De Young against a pretty ragged Abar at that time because they they weren't touching the ball at all. Even though Barca, yeah, they wound up collecting goals at the end, particularly when Abar really struggled. But all that said, the game certainly shifted and went up a gear when Frankie De Young came in for Busquets at the defensive midfield spot. So Frederick is saying about how focused and concerned he is about uh, Busquets. But I actually almost want to reshape this, Frances, that it's not a knock on Busquets. Uh, I thought Barca, their first touches and their you know one touch was not great. It was Artur, Vidal, Rakitic. I think everyone struggled with it. Busquets, Messi, Griezmann, they all struggled with it yesterday. It just Again, it was a, a team in second gear. But that said, De Jong's position is, his best position is the defensive midfield spot. And it's not to take anything away from Busquets, but I think the problem that Kike Seti is now facing is that his two best midfielders, by far, our defensive midfielders naturally want to be defensive midfielders. And I think that is the issue here. And it's not necessarily a Busquets or De Young. It's that they both are going to be on the field at the same time. And because Busquets is the defensive midfielder at Barcelona and will be until he decides or until there seems to be a bigger issue here, he's good enough 
to be in that spot. And that means DeYoung has to be, when he's with Busquets on the field, farther forward. And that still winds up having those two on the field part of that best trio. Yes, I guess it is kind of a mulligan that DeYoung's best position is the one that Busquets occupies. And it's interesting to me, too, because they do it in different ways. But the more you see it, the role is still the same thing. They're looking to get it balls up and over to either Messi or Griezmann trying to run onto balls. Again, they're trying to get up and over the defense, or they're merely just being that metronome at the base of the attack as they have possession. De Jong just dribbles a little bit more, and I think Busquets still is a little more sound positionally and defensively. So they do, they do offer slightly different positives, but I think they both do it in what we always consider a Barca way. Frances, what do you, what do, you do if you're Kike Setien when your two best midfielders have the same position? Very good question. Um, I think that you evaluate and you see um, on a day-to-day basis what, what things are what things are like and, and who will give you the best option. I mean, it is clear Busquets is the starter and until proven, sort of, is innocent until proven guilty, you know? Um, until we play, say, in the Champions League and, and he gets run over by the Napoli um, train or, or hopefully not Formula One car coming forward, but you know what I mean? Uh, then that position is his. So it's up to Setien to find out what best to do with the young uh, in terms of the other positions uh, until until Busquets is, as just, I've just mentioned, ready to come off. Not ready because he volunteers to do it himself, but actually that Barca may not have any other option than giving someone with many more legs and far less kilometers on his um, on his deposit actually taking taking the button and, and you know taking the heart of Barca forward. Um, it is a difficult position to be in but then again you've got two great players that are still more than valid in order to help the team so that that's to be honest not a it's not the worst position to be in put it that way yeah I, I agree uh one of the difficult positions the team has been in though as we're going to shift and start to talk about and preview Napoli at the moment Pancho and Vishrut both bring up the fact that Barca are much better at home than they are in away games, and that has certainly been the key. And it's continued under Setien that that was happening at Valverde. And then Pancho also mentions there has been consistency and inconsistency so far this year. And as we shift our focus to be speaking about Napoli, friends, as we can keep those things in mind as we start the discussion, and I kick it off with a question from Rick. I'm going to basically do Napoli, and you're going to do Barca in terms of this preview. So. I want to start with this question, again, from Rick, keeping in mind what Pancho and Bishroot had to say. Is there a particular area of vulnerability for Barcelona that if you're Napoli, and this is, I guess, any team, because we're, we're having you speak before the Napoli preview, is there a certain area that worries you for Barca at the moment? Well, I'm not, I'm not worried about Napoli. What I'm worried about is Barca. Um, I think that everyone knows what our vulnerable spots are, which is mainly and generally speaking, lack of concentration at key moments. You know, I think that when we are pushed into a corner, especially away from home in Europe, and obviously the last one, two, three seasons are a clear example of this, especially the last two, um, we don't really know what to expect from from our team. I mean, I, I hope that they've learned from their mistakes. I hope that, you know, everyone under the sun knows that uh, Barca are vulnerable, especially from, from set pieces, but also when conceding, uh, the five ten minutes after that is also, um, you know, is also a hot spot, and I think everyone knows that. If, if you're looking for sort of weak points within a squad, well, it is clear Jordi Alba is not there, so that would be something that you know Junior Firpo could be getting attacked much more often than usual. You could argue that Jordi Alba is much more offensive than than Junior, especially this season. The 
I'm saying the Barca version of junior, junior football, obviously, um, not the Betis version. So we will see what happens there. I mean, Sergio Roberto is now now injured, going to be out for three, between three and four weeks. Um, and obviously we wish him well because, you know, he's a key player that we want to be getting back. But obviously we've got Semedo. I mean, the last couple of games, Semedo and Filippo, both of them, haven't been that great on the ball. But I think that the physicality and, and the, the defensive, um, I want to call it stamina, dynamism, the, the strength and, and discipline as well, I think that's, that's good. And to be honest, that may actually help us in Europe. Um, so overall, that, that's that. I mean, Piquet and Lengle or Piquet and Moutiti haven't really been that solid. So the back line, I think, can be vulnerable. Um, if we get charge of the ball and we can control the game as we normally have traditionally done in the best Barca era, then I think Napoli have, are going to have it quite hard. But the thing is, experience tells us, and you know, with our key players being older now, um, you need to be switched on for 180 minutes, not just the 90 in Italy, but obviously the 90 at the Camp Nou. And any distraction can, can cost you. But I think Barca's worst enemy are, are ourselves. Yeah, it's always interesting that when we have, especially these Champions League matches, because these are teams with international narratives as well. And whenever we look in the mirror and say, well, we know that the issues that Napoli are going to try to exploit for Barca, we try to consider what Barca should be exploiting for Napoli. And you kind of reverse that on its head. And if you're Napoli, you know, for all their struggles that people might have heard about, they were sitting mid-table in Serie A all season long. They're now back up to sixth place. And that puts him in the Europa League, obviously, but still nine points behind a Champions League spot and Antalanta in fourth and Antalanta talk about that. We're not going to waste time, but a dominating performance last week in the Champions League against Valencia. So showing that Serie A, maybe they have a little bit of attacking force, but Atalanta also is one of the best attacking offensive teams. Now, I think for Napoli, what people start to remember and learn is that they do play that 4-3-3. So it does look a lot still like Sarri ball in attack with their traditional 4-3-3. I mean, one of the teams in all of Europe, most similar to the way that we'll, again, continue to call it the Barca way with that 4-3-3 in attack. But defensively, this is where you see a hint of Ancelotti because he wasn't there long. But mainly you do see what Catuso was trying to enact on his team defensively. That being Catuso, the long time, that, that bulldog, that pit bull in the Italian midfield that, that people might remember with AC Milan as well, next to Pirlo. But that 4-5-1 in defense, that's what they settle into. And they are willing to defend in a very Italian way, we'll say. They make a flat five across the middle of the midfield, and then they have one player at a time step to the ball. So this means in that 4-5-1, when Napoli with some world-class players who have the speed and ability, we'll talk, I'm going to talk about them in a second, to get out and counterattack, that means that Barca are going to have to be very precise with their passing, much cleaner than they were against Abar. They're going to have to be patient, but they're also going to have to get some runs in behind, and they're going to have to make sure they hit those balls. And to me, one of the most important players that we have not mentioned is Ter Stegen. Because not only with this kind of attacking force for Napoli is he going to be forced to make one or two really, really good saves, as he does in every Champions League match to get Barca points or get Barca result, but he's also going to have to make sure that he hits those balls when he's passing out of the back, as Barca are doing this season. He's going to have to make sure he hits those balls. And the one thing about Vidal starting, he didn't really win too many of those 50-50 balls against I mean, Abar, but I don't know many players who are for Barca that win those 50-50 balls coming out of the back from Ter Stegen when he tries to bypass the first line of that press. So I'm interested to see, and again, this press with Napoli is only still even a 4-5-1. So they're really merely guiding Barca to certain sides of the field. And as you mentioned, Napoli might try to exploit Firpo 
and Semedo. But I do want to mention, Frances, do you have anything to add to that? Because I, I want to go on to speaking about some of the players and injury issues that Napoli has. Yeah, well, I, the point that you said about um, Ter Stegen actually breaking the, the high press that pretty much every team has been doing since Setien took over, I thought that was very good against Eibar. And, you know, we, we, we sometimes just focus on the negatives and, you know, this thing could be better, that player could be, you know, shouldn't be underperforming, whatever. But Ter Stegen has been incredible all season, not just on the goal-stopping front, which, you know, he has been for the last five, six years, really. It's his um, his skill on the ball is, is second to none. And I think that you could really see that. Obviously, when he's doing the one-twos, you need to have a, a special sort of um, backbone to be able to pull those off, especially in the Camp Nou under so much pressure and the whole world um, watching you, really. And, you know, the other half hoping that you that you actually do miss. But those longer balls from the back, that, that reminded me of Ronald Koeman. You know, Ronald Koeman used to do that mm. during the Johan Cruyff era. And... It really was exactly that. It was just a, a huge hit from, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 meters, just breaking, I think, I would say more than one, one and two lines of defense. And, uh, yeah, I think that was remarkable. And, and the thing is, with Setien, every single game, we see a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And what I like about him is that he reacts to what's happened in the previous game and always tries to find a solution. So, you know, Barca, Messi was talking this week, um, again, in the interview with Mundo Deportivo, and he said that Barca are not in the top four favorites for the Champions League. And while I part of me thinks that's a defense mechanism not to put too much pressure on the team, I think that he's actually hiding the fact that in, if we continue to to get positive results and more importantly, little tiny gains here and there, I think in two, three months time, this thing could be really, really good and could challenge for everything. But we need to take it one step at a time, which is precisely what Setien is doing. So that is a huge positive in my eyes. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I mentioned that on the Patreon last night, that for the first time in, I'd say, the Messi era, and I think a lot of people would also still disagree, but from a Barca perspective, other than Messi, this is the first time when I think the international media is almost seeing Barcelona as an underdog because of all the consternation happening off the field that obviously is the narrative that ESPN FC or all these different international outlets are going to be covering. They're talking about what's happening with Bartomeu and the social media and, oh, would Messi go to Man City and all this other stuff that's been ancillary this season. And yet what's happening on the field is certainly growth under Setien and the, the change from Valverde. It's not just Valverde. Again, it's also the board. It's also personnel. It's the transfer policy, creating the squad that it did. There's still a lot of negative, a lot of big things that you mentioned negative that are happening. But what's happening on the field is a team that's, that seems to be coming together. And because they have the only play that they have as they look around, I think there really is starting to become almost an underdog field that people are counting them out of of the Champions League. And there was almost counting them out of the La Liga title, and yet they're back on the top of that table as well. So I would love to see Barca for once, just at least from their own perspective. The rest of the world's going to still say, you have Messi, you can never be an underdog, which is totally fair. But I think from Barca's perspective, it's going to be fun to be an underdog for just a minute. But against Napoli, just to shift gears, just right back there for a second, Frances, I, I want to mention that for all the injury issues that Barca have, Napoli have the same kind of issues. Their best player, at least in terms of stock, transfer, market, all those different things, is Kalibu Kulabali, and he could actually miss through injury. He is, And even if he is back on Tuesday, he is going to be at 40%. So he's going to be replaced by Manolis, who is the Greek center back, who unfortunately Kule still had nightmares about. He is the Roma center back that you remember. He made a big move to Napoli in, this, in the last window. 
or in the summer rather. It was interesting to me too, Frances, as I as I continue to piece these players. When I've been trying to listen to previews about Barca versus Napoli, there's been a lot of high praise. And I think for other people around the world that have just seen the last two or three Barca matches or haven't been watching all season long, they have been saying that Clement Langley takes a lot of chances with the ball at his feet out of the back. And that might be true, but there's actually, I think, a belief with international media that Langley is much, much better with his long passing and with this Kike Setien style than what I have seen. And you know, that actually calms me a little bit because again, I see all of his fallacies. I see all the mistakes that Langley makes out of the back with the ball at his feet. And I don't actually... I think for those who are third party looking at it, not as Barca fans, they're seeing that he is much better than maybe I'm a, I'm seeing. Do you agree with that? Just speak, as we speak about center backs here? I think Lenle is fairly solid on the ball considering the amount of risk that he takes. He's not the same to play as a center back at Barca these days as he was playing in the Milan of the 1980s with Franco Baresi, etc. It is it is a different game. Uh, as we just mentioned with Ter Stegen, it's much more risky and you know, a normal centre-back may take 60, 70 passes in a game when you've got to take from 80 to 100, like Piquet and Lenglet have to do. Then, you know, from time to time, you are going to be exposed. But I, what I will say is that I'd much rather have Lenglet on the ball than TT. And Piquet is our other starter. So, go figure. All right, so let's talk some of the forwards that those centre-backs in the back line that you were saying are worrying about, Frances, that they're going to face. Arcadius Milik came off the bench on Friday against Brescia, who is not necessarily one of the best teams in Serie A. So he was dealing with some knee inflammation the last few weeks. He may be healthy enough to start after dealing with those knee issues. That'll be something to monitor just basically up to game time. I expect since he did come off the bench against Brescia that he will get the start against those center backs, but I'm glad to say that he probably won't be 100%. Chucky Lozano, interestingly enough, He's who everybody, at least in North America, knows as the star of the Mexican national team. But he is having, if you haven't been paying attention, a rough campaign, to say the least. And he is barely playing under Cattuso. So actually, don't expect Chucky Lozano. Instead, it's going to be the names that, if anybody's been recognizing Napoli of recent years, Homsic is gone, sure. But Dries Mertens, the winger, the Belgian winger turned striker. If Milik doesn't go, it's going to be Mertens in the middle. He's undersized, sure. But he's Again, he'll probably press a little bit more than expected, even though he's in his 30s. He's got a little bit of legs left. So I expect him on the counterattacks being led by Lorenzo Insigne, who's the one club man. He went on loan shore a bunch of times, but he's only been at Napoli. That's where his heart lies, Lorenzo Insigne. So expect him. He's a diminutive midfielder as well. I think he might be shorter than Messi. I don't know. I have to have him stand side by side. But Insigne is going to start on the left wing, and he wants to get over onto his right foot. Expect that and expect him to get some shots off there. He's got five goals, five assists on the season, coming off, I think, two straight games where he has goals as well. Fabian Ruiz, you'll remember him at Real Betis. He's gone to Napoli now, and I think he has become not one of the best midfielders in the world, but one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the world, where that has really certainly been his bread and butter this season, and he's one of their most important pieces under Catuso because he can defend. He can also play a ball with that left foot as well, and he's supported defensively, by Diego de May, who came from RB Leipzig in Germany. Apparently, his father was a Napoli fan. He is, he, I think he also has Italian citizenship, so he's excited to play with Napoli. That The N is on his heart. It's on his crest. So Diego de May, he's the new pickup that Napoli now has as a defensive midfielder. Jose Cayon, the right winger, he's their captain usually. He can put a cross in, sure, but you will remember him at Real Madrid. I'm not afraid of him either. So if I'm Nelson Semedo, I'm saying... I need to just win my matchup today, and I'm going to defeat, I'm going to beat Cajon, and 
I'm just being Nelson Semedo. I'm going to have one of the best games that I can have. I hope to see a star performance from Nelson Semedo. And then LGF Almas is basically Ricky Puj. If he was allowed to play, he's a, they call him the Macedonian Messi, which is obviously just one of those overblown crazy things to say. He's just, <laughs> he's just a young 20 year old attacking midfielder in the mold of Ricky Puj. If Puj got to play, but for me, just like how we're worried about the, the, the fullbacks, this is where I end here. Okay, there's David Ospina in net. You might remember him, Columbia national team and Arsenal, but I'm not worried about that. They could also go with a much younger, much more expensive Alex Merritt, but I expect Ospina, he's been the first choice keeper for much of this latter half of, of January and February. But anyway, the left backs and right backs, the left back is going to be Alcide Hajaj. He's an Albanian left back. He's got some speed. He's got a little bit of strength, sure. Uh, he probably should have made a bigger move to a top-level club, but he still hasn't because he just seems to be just inconsistent enough. And then Mario Ruiz, the Portuguese left back, is not anything special. If it's not Hazaj, it'll be Ruiz, but I expect Hazaj. And on the other side, on the right, is Giovanni Di Lorenzo, who, you know, in Italy, they consider him a, a good enough player. But again, I think that's a weak spot for Napoli. He's not necessarily a top class right back. So I think Fati, I'm excited to see. If I'm Fati, I'm going to say Di Lorenzo. I'm, I need to, this is where I'm going to make my start my star performance again. I've had, I've already got a few braces under my belt. I've got all these records for Barca. So, you know, Ansu Fadi and Nelson Semedo for me, because of where Napoli's weaknesses are, are the places and the players that I hope Barca are able to take on Napoli. But as I said, it's going to be 4-3-3 versus 4-3-3 in attack. But Napoli, I expect them to try to settle in a little bit more. And Barca, it's been the same story, but in the Champions League, you can't get beat on the break, right? Francis, that's the one thing. Just do not get beat on the break. Yeah, and, and don't concede stupid goals from corners. I think that's well, going to obviously be, going to be one to to keep in mind for sure. All right, so I think that wraps up our our Napoli preview. So, Frances, again, we don't want to go too long on this one. This is a shorter show because we have got El Clasico up and coming. So we didn't share any of our El Clasico thoughts uh, from this one, but. You know, I, I think anything left to go on this Napoli preview, or I guess the mentality for the team going in, Frances, is that you've got a lot of options. Uh, Kike Setien is bringing a bunch of B players as well. And I'm actually pretty optimistic. I'm pretty hopeful. And I, I think this team is clicking and finding its feet at the right time. The Kike Setien experiment is still going on. But I think it's, you know, for something that's just in the beginning, maybe it's because we're at the top of the Liga table again. But I don't know, Frances, I'm feeling hopeful for once, maybe in two years. Yep, and that has to be this at the end or the minus Valverde effect for sure. Um, no, I think that in theory we should be beating Napoli easily, but obviously theory has let us down quite significantly in the past. Um, I like the fact that we are not considered favourites by many people at all. Um, I love the fact that players know that unless they put 100% effort in every single ball, then we're going to have to go home um, you know, sooner rather than later. And yeah, I also love the fact that we haven't mentioned Barca Gate at all in this podcast. Obviously, there's been plenty of speculation and, and you know, division going on before the scenes. That's why the Bartomeu was geared before the Eibar game even started. But as always with Barca, if the ball goes in, if Messi, you know, puts his um, Superman goat cape on, then, you know, things, things do get better. I mean, this preview of the Napoli game would have been really, really different, different and much more difficult had Messi not scored four goals against Eibar and Braithwaite actually done well in his debut. But this is where we are today, which is a great position. So let's be optimistic. Let's keep moving forward. And without a doubt, 
let's let's fight for every ball on the pitch and and be successful yeah so before we say anything negative i think we got to stop the show that's where we end it so thanks so much for tuning in again you can tap in your app check out the show notes to subscribe find us on social media too or on twitter at the barcelona pod or at helton d13 for me on instagram at the barcelona pod closed facebook group is tvpod.link backslash group deeper dives and discussions and all those different places are actually gonna be really busy this week because we have tons of content i always do say tbpod.link backslash Patreon. It's also where we get support for the shows. I'm going to have those Patreon quick take match reviews coming out Wednesday morning after Napoli and obviously on Monday morning after El Clasico on the weekend. So that's on Patreon. Then on YouTube, I have a Napoli preview probably coming out later tonight into tomorrow, Monday morning. And then I also have an El Clasico preview that's due out. Hopefully I get that done for later in the week as well. So you got two Patreon quick take match reviews this week two YouTubes, and as I said at the start of the podcast, you also have a second podcast that is planned and expected for this week. So that's a lot of content. You know, I'm going to do my best. Francesco's going to do his best. We're going to try to get all that out there, but we have tons of stuff going on this week for the biggest week so far of Barca season. So stay with us for it. The podcast, YouTube, Patreon, everywhere. It all helps. Again, on social media, you can just find links for all of that stuff. Also, barcelblog.com. That's the website. That's the hub. And that'll get you everywhere you need to go. So check us out on all those different things. Subscribe, like, help us out. That'd be great. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.